0: This podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, sharing ideas, shaping policy. Thank you. Um, So I'll I'll start briefly by just telling you what Bellingcat is and where it started. So around 10 years ago, I was closely following the conflict in uh, Libya, just as a kind of ordinary person, I had no kind of special uh, job or skill or training in conflict analysis or anything like that i was just very interested in what was happening but what i noticed was there was more and more content being shared online by people on the ground and kind of small communities online kind of arguing about this stuff without really having any way to verify it so early on i kind of came up with this idea of geolocation and that's using um the content of films and photographs for example you might have a building in the background and finding that same building on satellite imagery, and then comparing different details in that. And this became a kind of core skill of how we verify visual content, and is one of the building blocks of the investigation process that we now use at Bellingcat. So I I blogged for a couple of years, and then in 2014, I launched Bellingcat, which was um, really a place where I wanted to show people how to do open source investigations, as well as giving people a place of publish these investigations, because in 2014, open source investigation uh, using these digital sources was still something that was very, very new. Um, I don't think there were really any professional organizations who were doing it publicly. It may have been done by the intelligence services, but I I don't know about that. But generally speaking, I mean journalists, uh, for, for example, really didn't know what this was. And when I used to present this kind of work, it was like I was doing magic tricks on stage and everyone would gasp and be impressed, but they didn't really understand how it worked. So a big part of what I I have been doing since 2014 is training people how to do this kind of work. And really the conflict in uh, Ukraine since 2022 has been a really good example of how there's been a huge impact from the efforts of BallenCat to train and support and lead by example when it comes to open source investigation. So my presentation today will take you through some of the examples of that and how things have changed. So I'll start screen sharing. Very glad that worked. So at the beginning of the conflict, there was a lot of debate about was this war actually coming? And you have videos being shared on social media by Russians on the ground who are filming interesting things that were happening in their lives, and at that particular time, just before the invasion, it was the movement of military vehicles, and there was lots and lots of this going on. And. From our experience looking at other conflicts, from you know the conflicts in Ukraine from 2014 onwards, when Russia pretended it had not in- invaded, but really it had, um, in Syria, and other investigations we've done, we've understood the importance of mapping this stuff. So various organizations, including Bellingcat, and um, this map, which is from the Center for Information Resilience, started geolocating these videos. So that process I mentioned before, where we figure out exactly where these videos are filmed. And this allowed us to not only understand where these Russian military vehicles were, but by examining the Russian military vehicles and what they were actually used for and the units they were connected to, you could understand that this was not a military exercise, as Russia claims, but it was something that was definitely a build up to an the invasion. So, what you're seeing on the screen now is just some of the uh, data points on the map that's been produced by the Center for Information Resilience, which is partly fueled by data that we provide them and that we have available at ukraine.bellingcat.com that shows videos of Russian troop movements just before the invasion and we could see literally within 48 hours before the invasion happened more movements closer and closer towards the border including units like multiple rocket launchers that really didn't have any reason to be there unless they were preparing for an invasion and you can go for this to this resource yourself you can click on one of these dots and it shows you the video in question as well so you can explore this data and making this data available to everyone is something that really is core to the philosophy of open source investigation because it's open source and that it's publicly available. There's no reason in my mind to keep it to ourselves like it's our special secret. It's better to get it out there because it allows other organizations to build on the work that you're already doing. And the most basic step you can take with this is geolocation. So finding out where all of these are filmed. Now, there was also something else that came out just before the invasion, disinformation. So this video of gunfire and grass, is uh, a fake video. And there's a reason we know that, partly because it's that So this was a video that was uploaded by the Donetsk People's Republic on their official Telegram channel. And it was uploaded with this text, which as you can see, there's lots of stuff going on here. But the key point here is they claimed they had captured uh, effectively a GoPro camera off a Polish saboteur or Polish speaking saboteur uh, who are working as mercenaries on behalf of the Ukrainians with the goal of blow- blowing up a chlorine uh, storage tank a uh, uh, water treatment facility. And that's quite an elaborate story. Um, the problem is the people who uploaded this didn't realize that Telegram is very different from different social media channels platforms now telegram has become really the social media platform of this conflict a lot of people who are following this they follow the stuff that's happening on telegram and then they repost it on twitter and say hey i found all this interesting stuff when really the source is telegram but when you upload stuff onto twitter or facebook or the other common social media platforms it strips metadata so that's all the details of the file like when it was created when it was uploaded So on and so forth, but telegram is not like that. In fact, telegram has lots and lots of metadata left in because it doesn't strip that metadata. And in this video's case, you had, this is just a few pages of the pages and pages of metadata available. That effectively is a blueprint to how this was faked. So there are a few points that we noticed in here. First of all, the creation date of this was actually prior to when the incident took place by more than a week. Um, we could also see that there was a, a project path for this so this is the um, path on the hard drive where it was created where this project was actually created and we can see the piece of software it was created in adobe premiere pro video editing software and one thing that was very interesting was this pantry ingredients file path which is uh, a, a a name of a rocket launch and you know saying it's live fire When I saw this, I thought this is most likely from a downloaded YouTube video, because if you use online services to download YouTube videos, they give you the title of the YouTube video as the file name. In fact, if you look that up, you find this video, which is from 2010. And this is actually the Finnish military practicing with rocket launchers. And the people who faked the video took the audio from this video of the explosions and edited it into the other video. And in fact, if you look at the details of the metadata, it tells you the exact second the explosion came from in this video and where it was inserted into the fake video. And then you can listen to them and actually hear it uh, just by listening to it. Now this was debunked very, very quickly because at this point there was a community of people online who had come together just looking through videos, trying to debunk stuff, checking metadata. And this was not a formal organization. This was just a kind of ad hoc or self-organizing group on social media. But that was partly enabled because we were able to train people how to do do this, both through direct trainings, through workshops, where we've trained thousands of people now, but also through um, basically leading by example and having case studies and this work on our website, spreading those ideas on social media. So people knew where to look. And that idea of collaboration is something that's very core to Bellingcat. But I think it's also very, very effective when it comes to debunking disinformation, because... By the time anyone really saw this video who wasn't constantly engaged with the conflict, it had already been debunked. And therefore, it didn't really enter those kind of information ecosystems that spread disinformation. Because even the people who spread disinformation, they're looking for genuine, they, they think they're they're the truth seekers. So if they see something like this that's immediately debunked, it's not going to kind of come into their, their kind of ecosystem. So it prevents the spread of disinformation. Um, there's Um, Continued mapping efforts, so alongside this community, you have people who, like Geoconfirmed, for example, started geolocating these videos. And these geolocations are very useful, because it used to be, you know, back when I started, it was me and two or three other people doing geolocations, and that was it. But because more people people have learned these skills, and it's a pretty easy skill to learn as well, I mean, it's basically spot for difference between Google Earth and uh, videos you might have you get more and more people doing this. And once someone's done it, it's very easy to double check it because you just go to the coordinates they helpfully provide, look at this on satellite imagery, then compare it to the video. And as I said, it's spot the difference. And this means that we can go through and verify a lot of these videos very, very quickly. We've actually now created a a process for kind of processing these videos at high value. So we use this, platform called Atlos that allows us to create basically individual case files for each videos then volunteers can claim these case files and start investigating them and geolocating them Um, and we do this for each piece of media and that then feeds into a map we've got at ukraine.ballingcat.com that contains all, all the results of this Apart from a small number that where we decide that the um, video location could put a witness or a victim or someone else at, uh, at risk, because this is an active conflict so people can be targeted by occupying forces or, you know, by airstrikes and artillery, and you can download all this data with all the metadata that we've um, added to it if you want to use it in your own research. Now, as the conflict continued, there was more disinformation. This is um, from an incident in in RuPaul where there was a hospital that was bombed and two photographs became viral, but not for the right reasons. There was one of this uh, woman climbing downstairs, bloodied, and another one of a woman being carried away on a stretcher after being injured in the attack. Now, this led to a series of disinformation being published and pushed by the Russian government but often when we're thinking about disinformation and we're thinking about russia we think of russia creating disinformation and then pushing that onto us but really what happens is more often than not the kind of counterfactual communities as i call them the conspiracy theorists the people who think ukraine's bad and putin's great they start coming up with these theories themselves so the theory about this woman is in fact she was the same woman who was being carried away in the stretcher and um, that she was actually perfectly fine. It was all fake. There were like professional photographers there taking these fake photographs. The whole thing was effectively faked to make Rush look bad. And eventually this made it onto the social media platforms of the Russian embassies, like the, here, the Russian embassy in the UK sharing those same conspiracy theories about who this person was. Yes, she was an Instagrammer and she did beauty stuff, but she was also pregnant and she was a regular patient at this hostel when it was bombed. And the thing is, this is pretty blatant and, you know, gross propaganda. Um, but. They're shameless when they come to use this. So this is a clip I'm going to show you now from a Dutch TV show, a new show where the Russian ambassador to the Netherlands is explaining this video and the source of the evidence they're using to say this is a fake video.
1: Let me just uh, illustrate uh, what I said about the disinformation board. We saw this picture of uh, pregnant women, uh, maternity ward in Mariupol these are all actors on front pages uh, New York Times and uh, other media well actually this is only one woman she is uh, featured here rushing down the stairwell here she changed clothes and uh, she's been brought on this stretcher. But you're showing this to me, but if you have any real evidence yes, that it's is not real as evidence. been stated, why do you show it to this me? This I'm just a journalist this in the Netherlands. Why don't you show it to the no, United but Nations? Uh, yes, it, it has been shown. It has been and shown. And do they believe you? This From is, what I know, they warn you that if you continue, this constitutes and a war crime. Uh, I leave you these uh, uh, materials and you will see many, many comments uh, uh, and the comments and, uh, make it uh, true. The list of them is a bloody comedian. How much did you get paid?
0: So, just to reiterate, there, what he's referring to here are comments that were published on Instagram uh, under the post she had made previously after these conspiracy theories had been spread around her. So, if the ambassador was using internet comments from people like Fighting Joe557 and Katia0777 as the evidence to say that this was a fake and a forgery so i mean it's grossly cynical it's untrue and thanks to the training we've done like with organizations like cnn on open source investigation to establish the facts around incidents like these. We have great coverage now from the mainstream news media of these kinds of incidents where we can take evidence, we can work with these organizations, they can work independently of us, but use the training that we've provided to produce reports like this one from CNA and where they break down what actually happened with this attack. Um, What we also have a massive amount of access to, unlike several years ago, is satellite imagery. Um, these are incidents that an incident that took place in Crimea, where uh, air base was bombed by the Ukrainians, and we can clearly see the explosion as good all the holiday makers nearby, but what we have access to now is daily satellite imagery um, from all across the world. So this is the site that was actually attacked. This is from the day before, and this is provided by a service called Planet. Um, Planet, they take a image of the Earth every single day at three meter resolution and they take quite a lot of imagery at um, 50 centimeter resolution, which is what this kind of imagery is. And here you can see the aircraft, you can see uh, buildings, structures, stacks of various kinds of crates. And when this attack happened, we were able to actually task a satellite over this same location and get the imagery of the aftermath of the attack, which you can see here. You can see damaged aircraft, scorch marks, buildings that have disappeared. So this gives us a clear sense very, very quickly of what's happening on the ground. And this ability to have satellite imagery very, very quickly after an event has occurred is extremely useful, especially when you have a state that is lying about what's happening uh, on the ground, is making claims and various denials. And there's case after case where we're able to very quickly respond to information coming out. And I think it's actually resulted in a certain degree of paralysis within the kind of Russian disinformation system, because I followed Syria for a long time where there was a lot of Russian disinformation, the early parts of the investigation into MH17, the things like the Scrippling inquiry, and what I've really noticed here is because stuff gets debunked so rapidly, it's almost as if they've given up of putting any serious effort in. They still lie, but a lot of the lies are the same ones recycled. And um, Ibuka, for example, is one that comes up time and time again. This is in April 2022, there were... Um, there was fighting in this small town northwest of uh Kyiv. Russian forces pulled out, and as Ukrainian forces moved in, there were was video footage of bodies across the street, um, really terrible scenes. But immediately you had s- just random social media accounts like real spooking and leewash, just random people spreading disinformation, claiming that, for example, that more of the bodies um actually moved. You could see his arm moving across the body as the car drove by. And again we have the russian embassies picking this up and repeating these same claims it's saying here that, that the slow down version clearly shows a corpse move his hand and then sitting up this isn't true what they're actually showing and what you'll see in this next video is a water drop that's crossing across the body as they're driving along so in fact if you slow the footage down you actually see it's not his hand moving it's a water drop and Again, this is another example of the internet coming up with a conspiracy theory and the Russian government picking it up. They aren't the ones creating these theories, but they are the ones amplifying them. But of course, in this incident, we had the satellite imagery, as did other organizations we work with, like the New York Times Visual Investigation Team, where you could see the bodies in the same positions as visible in the video footage. And using a combination of visual investigation techniques and the different sources from that, that, that occupation. For example, this is drone footage showing the Russian vehicles prior, um, this footage actually showing the Russian vehicles opening fire on civilians. The CCTV footage of these that group, for example, were marched away and then found executed later. It's possible to actually have a very granular understanding of what happened on the ground here by combining all these different sources and using open source analysis techniques because there's such a wealth of digital evidence that you can make these very, very detailed investigations. But on the other side of this, you have um, a community that's formed around the conflicts of um, basically, uh, it's a very online community. They use memes in jokes and it's a kind of reaction to the lies that Russia has put out because in the problem that people have when they're serious people trying to respond seriously to this is that it's very, very difficult because Russia will just take ideas off the internet and throw them at you and say, here's our evidence. I've spoken to people at various major organizations who have to have Russia as members where they will come along to meetings to discuss kind of these crimes. And Russia just comes along with a folder of stuff they've printed off the internet and says, here's the evidence you have to reply to this. And that's very, very irritating. But what this community did is rather than taking it seriously, they went the opposite way. They started openly mocking Russian ambassadors, officials online, irritating them, just filling all their kind of replies and their engagement with just nonsense really. And it had a really big impact on how this information was being spread because it basically shut it down because the people who were trying to be taken seriously and that we knew were liars, were just having those lines thrown in their face and they were being torn apart basically online. So it made that kind of online space something very difficult Uh to operate in. And also later on, um, you also saw the organisation of a uh, uh, basically a merchandise site called Saint Javelin that sells merchandise is to raise money for um, charities and stuff in Ukraine. And they've raised over a million dollars so far selling this kind of merchandise. So it creates this kind of um counteracting against this disinformation but it also helps uh, build a community and this community spirit is something that actually helps maintain the support of ukraine because i've seen in conflicts like syria for example where that doesn't last very long people's attention moves on to other things and it gets complicated and then people don't want to be involved anymore or even really think about it but this helps us keep attention on ukraine and build a community around that What we're doing at Balancat at the moment is we've built a process for investigations that's designed around um, legal legal processes where we've first developed this on Saudi airstrikes in Yemen, working with the Global Legal Action Network, consulting with lawyers and building a process that we're now applying to the conflict in Ukraine, where we've got dozens of investigations in process and nearing completion related to uh, civilian harm. We're producing reports for... Uh, the use of academics, of uh, legal professionals, so they can actually understand this stuff because speaking from long experience, legal professionals do not understand this stuff. It's a very new field. It's not something they tend to encounter unless it's directly related to work that they're doing. And what we're trying to do with Band and Cat is look at that kind of whole kind of value chain of the legal process and the evidence being created to so it being seen by a judge and making sure everyone in that process understands what it is, what it means, and can actually use that. And as we continue and we continue on mapping the conflict, gathering the evidence um, and hopefully seeking accountability in the long term. Um, so that's spelling out. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, I'm happy to answer your questions. This podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, sharing ideas, shaping policy.